You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. Now, if you haven't heard yet, uh, this is me telling you, you need to take a look at the new boots from Lacrosse, and they fall under the Navigator series. Now, what they've done is they've taken the best parts of a rubber boot and the best parts of your traditional hiking and hunting boot, and they've mashed them together to come up with this new line of boots from lacrosse and that is the navigator series now they have the women's windrows they have the men's windrows and then they have the atlas the atlas series within that as well so go to lacrossefootwear.com and check out this new line of boots that they have i've been using mine for a couple weeks now and i am very impressed with the the fit and the feel and i can't wait to get them in the woods this hunting season and uh, give them a trial run so lacrossefootwear.com check them out All right, everybody, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Vortex Optics. Today's topic is nocturnal bucks and how do you hunt them. And this is something that I think about a lot because this time of year, it's mid-October, there are scrapes opening up. Um, We're starting to see a little bit more deer activity as the season progresses, as we get closer to the rut. But the trail camera pictures that we may be getting or maybe we're leaving the farm or coming into the farm and we're seeing deer in the headlights and some of the some of this activity is nocturnal. And especially for me, when I have a set of deer or I guess a hit list put together of the deer that I'm wanting to chase, wanting to go after as far as bucks are concerned. When I get a picture of a deer in the middle of the night, a lot of things have to happen, right? Uh, I got to know, uh, is that deer on trail camera anywhere else on the farm? Where where do I think he's coming from? Where do I think he's going? And that's going to allow me to kind of put together a strategy of how I'm going to, you know, maybe hop in the woods and start chasing this deer, or if I'm going to lay off him and uh, just maybe wait be patient and hopefully i get an opportunity at this buck a little bit uh later in the season maybe closer to the rut when uh, there's a little bit more daylight movement and uh that's got me thinking about what other people may do uh, and the strategy that uh that they 
kind of introduce into their you know their season and uh this is this is today's episode right um i talk with alex gilstrom i talk with jeff Lindsay, i talk with andy may and i talk with scott bestel all of these guys have been on the podcast before and uh i'm basically just going to talk to them about how they approach nocturnal bucks whether they have like a hit lister show up or maybe they know a deer's in the area but he may be nocturnal and uh, i'm just going to pick their brains about what they would do in a scenario like that but before we get into today's podcast man i gotta send props to ripcord arrow rests i say this every time i talk about it and i and it's almost like i'm saying the same commercial over and over i love this company right for multiple reasons but the the main reason like you should love any company or any product they make a badass product right ripcord arrow rests have been on my bow for several years lots of years and uh it's i think there was a period of time where i had one the same one on my bow for seven years and every time i switched bows it would make the hop over to the new bow and uh, i'm telling you right now it's a badass product that can really take a beating and continue to perform Uh, and it's an american-made product which i love but it's uh the quality is just amazing i've gotten mud in it i've gotten ice in it and it's continued to perform every single time and uh, it's a veteran-owned company and uh, if you have a problem you call the number that's on their website and for the most part one of the owners is going to answer the phone and help you with your problem right so the next time that you are you know starting to look at a a new arrow rest i really think you should consider a ripcord just because of everything that i just mentioned high quality product great customer service um they're out of montana it's you know it's an american run american made product and uh, i just think you guys will really like it so uh, i know i'm geeked about them every time i talk about them and uh ripcord arrow rest Com. Go and check out all the different rests that they offer. Now, getting back into uh, the topic of the day, right? We're talking uh, about nocturnal bucks. The first person I talked to is Alex Gilstrom. Now, Alex works for Whitetail Properties. He's an outdoor writer, and he is a bow hunting nut just like the rest of them. So the first thing I did was throw him a scenario. You're checking your trail cameras, one of your hit list bucks that you've identified, let's say preseason or even a bonus buck shows up on trail camera, but it's during the middle of the night. What are you doing from that point as far as strategy is concerned to intercept that buck? Good question. I think it's something that a lot of people are into. I certainly run into it a lot as well. I mean, and it kind of goes, I guess, just my strategy in general it's like my trail cameras are very rarely put deep into cover or anything like that they're kind of on the fringes so a lot of the travel i see is at night you know given the time frame um if if a buck's just traveling in the middle of the night and you really just can't can't seem to catch him when you need to obviously during daylight i'm trying to push as close as i possibly can to that to that bedroom and then stacking the odds in my favor based on conditions from there so identifying you know the key cold fronts 
at the key time of the year, you know, obviously right now bucks are starting to lay down some scrapes. They're getting territorial. There's the testosterone's building. They're preparing for the rut. Um, they're probably in their best physical state of the year right now before they're, you know, run down of the rut and, and really things kind of go crazy in the next 10 days to, to a week and a half or whatever. Um, so I'm, I'm going to try to push in as close to that security cover as I possibly can. Hopefully try to identify some primary scrape areas. You know, I do a ton of postseason scouting, so I've got a pretty good idea of the areas I've hunt, where the primary bedding areas are, and then start to hone in on, you know, where he's at. Usually this time of year, at least moving into the, the pre-rut period, they're not on the doe so much. So I still don't try to, I'm not trying to capitalize on movement around the doe bedding areas quite yet. It's more of a focus around security cover, internal transitions. If I can identify a good primary scrape area that's been opened up, I'm going to try to key in on that either of a morning if he's just moving in the middle of the night and, 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 and the evening hunts aren't play, aren't panning out, then I might try to sneak in there, get him and coming back late to bed. You know, um, we're kind of in the, in the full moon phase right now. So mornings actually have been showing a lot of movement. So they're coming back to bed a little bit later out feeding, you know, laying down that territorial sign more than they typically are uh, prior to this time, this time period. So capitalizing on, those time periods where, again, change, you know, identifying that moon phase, waiting for a good cold front, going in, trying some morning sits, if I possibly can, around that good security cover, and then getting as close to uh, their bedding areas as I possibly can around this key time, hopefully catching them out right at last light or coming back to bed um, at, at first light. Right. So how much emphasis then are you putting on a morning hunt this time of year then? If the, let's say if the buck is nocturnal. Quite a bit. Um, I would, I would be putting quite a bit of emphasis on him right now, just because if he's, if he's a, if he's a buck, that's just, if he's just staying in that thick security, if he's staying in his bed until after dark getting up. I mean, there's not much you can do um, to that point too. So I try to get back in well beforehand um, and time that hunt. So I'm, I start morning hunting actually right about this time. I mean, I usually try to wait in the, in the first, like after the after the first two weeks of October, now we're in that third, that kind of that third week, the first ideal cold front from that time period on, that's when I really kind of start focusing on the mornings and being strategic on, on kind of when I can get and target those, those primary bedding areas. So uh, right about now at this time, uh, morning hunts are starting to go, are going to start to be beneficial. Again, I always look at the weather and pressure, kind of try to try to try to stack those other factors in my favor that, that kind of have historically led to, or typically lead to or, um, more movement. Um, that, so that's kind of, uh, kind of my approach now for this, this mid October timeframe. Gotcha. Now let's kind of ask the same question, but a different way. And are you okay. being, uh, you've identified a nocturnal, a nocturnal moving deer, uh, whether he's betting on your place or he's not betting on your place or, you know, whatever piece of property you're hunting private or public or whatever. Are you, are you being aggressive in trying to get in range of him or are you being patient? I'm pro if he's, if he's nocturnal now, I'm probably going to be more patient than, than aggressive at this particular time period. In another two weeks, another week and a half um, that could change. If he's still going to be that way, then I might try to penetrate or do it, do a couple timely hunts where I can sneak in and get a little bit closer. Um, it, it kind of all bases on conditions like, like right now for this time period to, to get pressing and get a little bit closer. 
to those bedding areas. I like really windy days um, or if it's raining, uh, that way it's going to knock down the scent. It's going to cover, you know, the wind's going to cover my noise, allow me to, 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 to put the advantage a little bit more in my favor. Um, some, some, some kind of uh, unique instances like that, I might get a little more aggressive. But outside of that, I'm just like your normal kind of standard weather, whatever, for this time of year, depending on your region. If he's nocturnal right now, I'm going to really wait until I can time the conditions right. I've got the right wind. I've got the right uh, conditions and, and, and be a little more strategic in approaching right now as we're still kind of in that, that build-up phase for, for their testosterone and their aggressive aggression and, and laying down that sign. Gotcha. So what are you actually doing to identify where he's coming from and where he's going? Um, that goes right back to scouting for me. Um, I, I do a fair amount of in-season scouting too, but most of it's done in the, in the early spring or the postseason. Uh, I really, really do a ton. I probably spend more time in the woods, honestly, in February and March than I do any other time of the year. And it's just even, even during the hunting season, it's just the best way I've found to really learn these core areas, how they're navigating in and out identify specific, you know, the beds within a bedding area. And I may not be hunting this, an exact bed, but really identifying based on the sign, based on travel corridors, things like that, where these primary bedding areas are and then really hone in on that. And I, I put a lot of stock in what I'm finding during the postseason and be able to apply that now when, um, when I know that there's, they're starting to, to, to move from, from bed to feed into or between two transitional covers, whatever that might be. Um, for the betting situation, um, I've really kind of identified that before before the season even started. Gotcha. So a lot of a lot of pre and postseason scouting and uh, uh, historical data. Let's say if you have you've had past encounters with a deer, correct? Absolutely, for sure. And but you can't discount. I mean, nothing beats a real real time intel, right? Like, right. I mean, you've got to you've got to still still be able to be mobile and 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 understand what changes are happening real time and where they're happening. I mean, it's, it's, it's always good to reference that information that you've gathered in your pre, you know, your, your preseason scouting and, and, and your winter scouting, whatever, always reference that information, but you can't ignore what's happening right now in the woods and where, and where it's happening too. So, I mean, the adaptability is very important um, to understand that, understand that too. Gotcha. Do you happen to have a real life experience that you could share with us of hunting a nocturnal buck that either turned out as a failure or turned out successful yeah uh, as a matter of fact it happened in um in south dakota it was uh i had actually watched the deer a couple of times right at first light and thought the evenings were going to be the best time to get out and get after him and it was just like i hung a trail camera just kept getting just nighttime after, you know, just dark, dark, middle of the night, middle of the night. I just couldn't figure out what, what this was after, after seeing him one time, um, at right at first light in the morning. So, uh, I knew that, and it was actually a full moon situation. So the full moon was, was coming. It actually was the night after the full moon, I'm sorry, the morning after the full moon, uh, of the, of the full moon day, uh, went in, in the middle of the night, um, early, uh, it was probably, gosh, I don't know, three hours before daylight even, uh, got in there and it was, and he had actually come in under the cover of darkness. Uh, and I could hear deer. I couldn't see what he was, uh, but I could hear the deer walking. I thought I was in the general area, um, heard it stop. And I assumed the deer either bedded down or worked off the other way. Um, and as it came, came back to, um, to light, he was, uh, he, he actually stood up and started milling around, which is another thing too. I mean, 
you got to understand deer, they have to get up and they have to move and they have to feed and stretch their legs. I mean, they're, they're moving, even if it's within the confines or whatever their bedding area, they're still going to be moving if they are quote unquote nocturnal. So luckily I had just gotten in and kind of beating back to bed, if you will, to where I was set up concealed, you know, uncovered in, my, in the tree I was in well ahead of daylight beating back in. He stood up and then it was like, I think mid morning, 11 o'clock, I think it was, he had actually got up and started feeding and actually uh, tr- came by um, he worked, he worked about uh, 60 yards from where he was actually bedded and walked right by and shot him. So it was, uh, that was kind of a cool instance to where you just got to sometimes with the conditions being right and, and kind of be trying to stack those odds in your favor, again, feeding him back to bed in a morning, it was a morning situation. It, it, it was the best, um, the best result for me in, in terms of getting it back. And I tried to hunt that deer a few different times or get on that same general bedding area a few different times in the evening. And it was just, he was just coming out way too late. Wow. That's awesome. Uh, do, do, do you feel that on a nocturnal buck, you have a better chance of beating them in the morning as opposed to the afternoons? I personally do. I think, I think your morning times for a nocturnal buck is trying to beating him back to try to beat him back to bed, at least getting close to that security cover. So you can have the advantage of daylight and, and capitalize on whatever movement he's going to have there, whether it be getting back to bed late, maybe it's a midday, um, you know, maybe it's a midday scent check, or maybe he's just kind of stretching his legs midday, whatever that is. Uh, capitalizing on that from a morning perspective, a morning mentality, I think is, is, is going to be your best advantage to, um, to try and kind of get in the, get in the drop on one. All right, the next person that I talk to is Jeff Lindsay. He films for a television show called The Lindsay Way. He's also a hunting nut, and uh, I ask him the same scenario. Let's see how he answers it. It gets me excited for the rut because I know that if he's at least familiar with that area, he's liable to chase a doe or be locked down with a doe come the rut in that time of the area or that time of the year. But I get that question a lot on social media. People tell me, you know, hey, I got this bug hitting hitting this our farm at two and three o'clock in the morning and usually i tell them it's probably a pretty good sign that he's not living on you you know i know it's not what they want to hear but but usually um it, it just depends on if you know the deer or not but it gets me excited for the rut but early season i have a hard time getting fired up about a buck that's just showing up at two or three o'clock at night gotcha so what's your what's your strategy then uh let's say you have a buck uh he's He's been on your property for a handful of years, right? Uh, This year, he makes the hit list, right? It's a deer that you want to shoot. And he's he's showing up on a couple trail cameras in the middle of the night. Um, Are you changing your strategy to try to intercept him at different parts of the farm, or are you just going to try to wait him out? I usually just try to wait him out. I mean, unless I'm getting daylight pictures of a deer, very rarely will I go into hunting. Um, and I know sometimes that could be, you know, setting yourself up to, to not hunt a deer all year. But I personally just don't like going in a deer, in an area to hunt a deer until I know he's, you know, feeling confident enough to move around in the daylight, daylight, or, you know, he's acting crazy enough to that we can catch him messing up. Gotcha, gotcha. So I know you hunt uh, to, you know, several different parts of the country, and uh, does that does that strategy differ from the midwest as opposed to when you hunt down in georgia uh it really don't for me uh, you know I, I know a lot of people that hunt you know kansas ohio and even georgia and alabama now that you can bait 
um, you, you know, that are just straight hunting over feed or something. Um, you know, I think they probably have a little different strategy than I would, but I, I tend to employ, we don't like to hunt, you know, dead over bait piles. So I, I kind of use the same practices I do in the Midwest as I do, uh, down South when we hunt our Georgia farm, you know, just wait till they show up in daylight and then try to wait on the perfect wind and go in and strike and kill and get it done. Gotcha. Gotcha. So it's a bit of a, a waiting game. You, you play the patience role as opposed to, uh, like tearing down a whole set going into his bedding area and try to catch him that way. Right. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. And that's, that's me. That's the older Jeff Lindsay, the younger Jeff Lindsay. just, I'd, I'd hunt him until he messed up and probably run him out of town. You know? So now <laughs> I'm just, I got an excuse to, uh, you know, hang out with my family and kids and wait on the perfect weather, wait on the, the goal, I guess, is you know hunt less and kill more, but it doesn't always work that way. Right, absolutely. Do you happen to have uh, maybe a specific example of playing cat and mouse with a buck who was nocturnal most of the time, and then either you uh, messing up royally on him, or maybe walking away with a kill? Yeah, about uh, probably six or seven years ago, I had a deer we called Ash Tay. It was about 180 inch buck that um i had like one daylight photo of him all year even even in velvet the whole shebang and it was in october but i knew he lived on us because i got enough pictures at night and stuff and so maybe sometimes just a little after dark because to me there's a big difference between getting a picture of a deer a nocturnal buck you know 30 minutes or an hour after dark or only getting pictures of a deer at three and four in the morning but this deer would just kind of all throughout the night and i got one picture right after daylight at like uh, the 27th 28th of october and so i knew he was in that area and i hunted him hard um and then i got one other picture november 12th or 13th if i remember correctly and it was at night but it was eating acorns underneath my stand with a doe and i kept hunting that area and on november the 15th for the first time uh, i seen him in daylight seen him with my own eyes and uh it was only the second time i know him to move in daylight just based on all the cameras i was running and ended up rattling him in and shot him at like 22 yards. But that was a true nocturnal buck. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, uh, he just messed up. Gotcha. So let's say there's a guy out there and uh, he's maybe thinking about what he should do. Any last words of advice or uh, some pointers or tips or tricks for for them, regardless if uh, that buck is, you know, bedded close to their farm or maybe even off their farm and only visiting it in the middle of the night? Yeah, well, I think you could ask me or my dad that same question. We both have a, a pretty similar answer because we are all about intrusion. You know, checking cams, hunting stands, always doing the exact, you know, exact wind direction. It won't screw your farm up, won't mess it up. I mean, we're, we're big believers in scent control. Every advantage you can take on a deer's nose, take. But just be really cautious when hunting a big deer like that. Even if he's if he's nocturnal, you don't want to make him more nocturnal. You want to just hunt him as sparingly as possible. Don't burn out your good spots until truly the time is right. And that's easier said than done, especially if you don't have a whole lot of land to hunt. But, I mean, that's just my word of advice, I guess. Now, the next person we talk to is Andy May of Michigan, and Andy is a very successful bow hunter. And I simply ask him his strategy on how he would approach hunting a nocturnal buck. Well, I guess the, the first thing I want to say is, like, I personally, in my opinion, I don't think um, any buck is 
nocturnal, like completely nocturnal. I believe that each and every buck is moving somewhere. Um, it very well could be using your property at night. Um, I mean, that's, that's quite common, especially if the property or the area you have to hunt does not encompass like his, you know, his main bedding area. Um, you know, as, as we all know, mature bucks don't travel that far from their bed outside of the rut during daylight. So if you're, if you got a camera out and you're just getting, you know, nighttime pictures, midnight, one in the morning, two in the morning, I'd say you're, you know, you're somewhere in his home range, but you're not in his uh, core area. Um, so I guess I'd answer that question a couple different ways. If you, if, you know, if this is on, you know, a big piece of public ground, if this is on a private piece of ground where, you know, you believe you can utilize or, or access this core area, I would go and try to find that. Um, I would try to find the area that is close to, you know, his secure home core bedding area. And then I would try to, you know, I would personally try to set up on that and try to kill that deer close to that. That's assuming we're hunting him outside of the rut. You know, let's talk like early season, you know, maybe mid-October, maybe even getting in, in into that, you know, that third week of, of October. You know, that's that's where I want to be. That's how I would try to hunt, a, you know, a, quote, uh, nocturnal buck. Um, now, if you don't have access to his core bedding area, you know, now, now you have to handle that a little different. You know, I have situations, you know, I have permission on some ground that just does not hold mature buck bedding. I get nighttime pictures. Then, you know, as, as the season rolls on, you get into that late October, you know, you start getting pictures that are closer and closer to daylight. And, you know, he's basically what he's doing is he's venturing further and further from his core area or, or his bedding area. And so in, the, in, in that case, if you have a, a intimate knowledge of your property and if a mature buck has a, a bedding area on there, and, and, and in this case, the particular buck, your target buck, um, if, if it's the bedding area is off your property, then I think the play is to wait until the conditions are right. And that could be time of year, could be late October. You could be waiting for a cold front, uh, you know, to get him up on his feet, moving a little earlier, a little further from his bed, you know, a cold front late October. Or it might be something that he's far enough away where you actually have to wait till, you know, kind of full-blown rut and hope that you're going to catch him cruising far away from, from that area, you know, chasing, you know, tra uh, trailing a doe through a, a funnel or, um, you know, cruising, cruising and crossing trails, checking food sources, you know, checking doe bedding areas, that sort of thing. So I think you really have to know, have an understanding of the piece of property you're talking about. You have to have intimate knowledge of the bedding areas on there. Is there mature buck bedding on the piece that you're accessing and hunting? Or is it, is it far off? You know, and then that's, you, you would, you know, adjust your hunting strategy accordingly, you know, depending on, you know, what info you have there. Gotcha. So you're saying that if you have access to where you feel that this, uh, this, target buck is betting then you can be a little bit more aggressive and on the flip side if you don't have access to that piece of pro that piece of property where this this buck is betting then the play is to be a little bit more patient and uh, play the waiting game 
to when he for for time of year uh, when he could be up on his feet more throughout the day. Yeah, you know, yeah. If it's if it's off the ground, I mean, you don't really have an option, right? It doesn't matter how close you're going to get; you're not going to get close enough to get him in daylight. So in that case, what I would do is I just stay out of that area completely. I try to let the domes and, and and everything that does utilize the property in daylight just let them go unbothered. And then what I would do is I try to wait until that time of year, those conditions, when that buck starts moving more in daylight. Usually, you know, that time frame is like late October. And that's when I'd start to hunt him and I'd hunt him, you know, as close as I can and in uh, good pinch points and stuff and, and try to keep that pressure low off that property until that buck is moving. And another thing you got to consider too, though, is, you know, if this is a permission piece, is it something that you and multiple people have permission on? Cause that's what I encounter a lot. In a lot of the areas I hunt. I, I treat them like public land. You know, when I when a buck shows up or I know a buck's there, I'm very aggressive and I go in and I either kill it or I don't. Because I don't really have the option to sit back and be patient on a lot of those. Um, you know, now if it's like a lease or a, a privately owned ground, um, you know, that you have sole access to, you know, the play might be, hey, let's preserve this, you know, this, this spot, this uh this hunting ground for the whole season i'm going to be a little more patient i'm not going to go charging into his bedding area and do a one and done i might sit back and wait and let you know let the deer make a mistake you know so you really gotta you really gotta look at what scenario you're you're dealing with and make that decision you know based on what you have for me i have a lot of different types of options like that i don't really have anything by myself but i do have permission on a piece with with one of my best friends and we hunt that very patiently. We're not aggressive. We stay out of the bedding areas. And what we do is we kind of hunt as a team. Um, and when a, when a buck shows up, you know, we, we hunt him, uh, you know, kind of from the outside in and, and, and patient. If we're getting nighttime pictures, we're not diving into the bedding area. We're just waiting. So, you know, as opposed, like, if I was on that piece with, you know, three, four other guys that I don't know, if I get that nighttime picture and I know that that buck is bedding on that ground, I'm diving in, I'm diving into that bedding area because I I've already scouted it. I know where it is. I know where the big buck like to lay down on, on the piece of property. So, you know, if you do your, if you do your work, your scouting work uh, and know your area intimately, you, you kind of know that stuff ahead of time. So when a, a big buck does show up or you get that nighttime picture, you know, depending on when it is, you can, you can move in and, and, and possibly get a kill. Um, you know, it's a, it's kind of like a high risk, high reward type deal. But when you're dealing with shared property and public ground, I feel like that's the way to go. Like patience, you know, usually isn't, isn't the, the right way to go in my opinion. Now I, I, when I talk about this stuff, I'm, I'm mostly talking about outside the rut. You know, I think yeah. everybody kind of knows how to hunt the rut. You know, you can get in some funnels, get next to some doe bedding areas downwind, you know, there's some strategy there, but I have a really hard time zeroing in on a individual buck during the rut. I'd much rather kill him uh, early season, mid-October, and then into that third, maybe fourth week of October. After that, I have a really hard time getting on him. And then again, if, if you're lucky enough to have a, a, a decent food source or something late season, late season is a great time if you made it. But um, I guess that's that's kind of how I would answer that question. I'm sorry. It's not more specific, but it really has to come down 
to what type of scenario are you hunting, you yeah. know, and what type of situation you have. Right. So are there times where uh, you have access to a piece of property, a really good deer is showing up uh, on, let's say, trail camera, and it's 3 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock in the morning. Do you even consider hunting that deer if he's uh, if he is a, a basically a nocturnal buck on that property and you don't have access to that core bedding area, or do you do you pass hoping he shows up? Um, do you mean like like I would hunt like sporadically hoping he shows up? Yeah, or you know, yeah. There's maybe a couple other decent deer on the property, but they're not as good as this this buck oh. who's showing up nocturnally. Gotcha, I follow. Um, I mean, I guess that depends on what those other bucks are. I mean, if we're talking, are we talking like a you know, like a buck of a lifetime here that I'm getting pictures of at three in the morning? I know he's in the neighborhood, um, and then the other bucks are, you know, I don't know two three-year-old bucks yeah i'm not gonna shoot one of those i'm gonna i'm gonna wait and and see what happens probably be patient and hope that you know i might be able to get a crack at that deer during the rut um if there's another mature buck on there you know something you know a four or five-year-old buck you know that's something you got to consider um you know that's a trophy you know trophy deer anywhere it's a huge accomplishment anywhere especially you know uh, bow and arrow so I think that comes down to the individual person, but if that, if that buck is betting off the property, I mean, definitely the play is, you know, there's nothing you can do. You're not going to get close enough to get daylight movement out of him, but what you're hoping and what you're banking on is that as the season rolls on and as the weather gets more favorable and you get more into that kind of pre rut movement where they're leaving their bed a little early and they're hitting scrapes and they're venturing out a little more, exploring their, their, uh, their home range, you know, that's when you're going to get the kill. So what I found is that certain areas tend to heat up at certain times. So like I have, I have uh, places that I have permission to hunt that are really good at early season. You have like a, a really good chance at a good deer if he's there those first few days of the season. And then after that, it's like done. The crops come out, it's done. There's no deer. You could have a camera out there all year. You'll get like two or three pictures the rest of the year. So it's like, you have to capitalize right then, and there has to be that right buck there on that given year. And there's other properties where there's no bucks, hardly at all, except a year and a half year old bucks uh, all October. You know, but there's you know good doe groups on there, and then all of a sudden you get into that you know third week of October, and all these two year olds and three year olds start showing up, and you're like, oh man, this is getting good. It just starts getting better. So you really gotta. Uh, I think I heard uh, Mark Jury. Uh, say what this you has got to know the dna of your farm and now you know maybe you don't own a farm but you got to know the dna of your property like when is this property best when are your best chances at a mature buck and you know that often will stay similar year to year but you might get a certain buck that survives four or five years that has that shows vulnerability at certain times like you know he's uh, for instance um three or two or three years ago i cut I killed a real big buck in Michigan. It was a big 160 inch nine point. And I have pictures of him in the middle of the night, kind of sporadically through October. But after chasing him for four years, I'm sorry, chasing him for, for three years, I, I chased him at three, four, and five. Um, what I found is that he was only active on the property during shooting hours 
in a very short window in late October. And it was always between October 24th and the 26th. I got daylight pictures. I had sightings. That was my window. And he was still around, you know, that late October, early November, but it was much more sporadic. But in that window, he used that that small area. And that's when I ended up killing him. I ended up killing him on the 25th. So you can pick up on those, like, those little patterns of properties, certain areas, um, and then and then uh, certain uh, tendencies that individual deer have, where they like to use certain areas at certain times of the year. It's all like little pieces of the puzzle. And you know, I think when you're when you're doing this stuff like kind of year round, like we are, and we're like completely obsessed with it. Like the more scouting you put in, and the more notes you take, and the more mental notes you take start picking up on these things and then you can really capitalize on them a lot of good insight there now the next person we talked to and the last person we talked to today is scott bestel uh scott is a outdoor writer with several years of experience and he does a lot of his hunting in minnesota here's his two cents you know that's a great question and i've learned that i've learned to take nocturnal bucks um with a little bit of a grain of salt um they obviously exist there are some deer that are just vampires or they don't like they don't like to move when it's light however um i've seen this happen more than once and we've killed bucks like this more than once where the trail cam picks i was getting of the deer were all nocturnal um but um with a little poking around either with other trail cameras or just by hunting uh hunting other areas uh we've learned that that deer the deer was nocturnal where i was getting him but that didn't necessarily mean he was always nocturnal in whatever part of his range a perfect example is a buck that my dad killed um a few just a few years back um we called him crab claw and he was he was a really active buck i got tons and tons of pictures of him all all in the dark and so uh and i would show these pics to my dad and he's like oh you know he's he's nocturnal we'll never get him blah 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 well um Lo and behold, um, I stuck him in a stand uh, in a secluded food plot within the buck's home range easily. But, you know, and I I wasn't setting him up on that deer. I was just setting him up because it was a good spot and I knew there was activity there. But anyway, uh, he crawls up in the stand and lo and behold, crab claw shows up 45 minutes before dark and he shot him and killed him. So I think you, I think you need to, before you make the decision, before I make the decision that a buck is indeed truly nocturnal, I... I try to gather more information, you know, okay, this is a deer I want to kill. He's, he's a good looking buck. And, uh, then I just start looking for more information, moving cameras around and stuff. I want, I want to, I want to identify if, are there places within that home range where he might be active at, at during the daylight? Okay. So what about if, uh, you do that and I'm throwing you curveballs here, you do that and, mm-hmm. uh, he's still nocturnal on all the trail cameras that you check. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, there, you know, you can't, you can't sugarcoat this. I mean, mature bucks, they, they love that. And it seems like the older they get, uh, a lot of times the, the more nocturnal they get. Um, so anyway, I just, I start, uh, again, I'm, what I'm doing is trying to amass as much information about the deer as I can. Where does he feed? Where do I think he beds? Um, you know, where, what are his active travel corridors? If I can find those, and then um, I just wait. I, I, so I, I kind of handle them with kid gloves. I, I don't push them, uh, especially if I think his core area is fairly small, which we found on a lot of these uh, a lot of these deer. Um, and then I just kind of wait for conditions that, where I think he he might move in the daylight. And of course, you know, the most obvious one is when the rut comes. Um, I don't mind. 
you know, if I think I've got to save them for a few weeks, that's no problem. I don't care if I kill them, you know, a month from now or, or tomorrow. So anyway, I just, uh, I just handle them with kid gloves and just keep poking around and hunting really smart and, uh, just waiting for those optimal conditions. I don't push hard on that deer when the conditions are not good, warm weather, you know, stands with a bad wind direction. I mean, you just, you have to kind of go back to fundamental deer, fundamental deer hunting, which is kind of what I rely on most of the time. And just, you know, just keep waiting and sooner, you know, hoping he makes a mistake. And if, and if he doesn't, um, you know, well, you chalk it up to one that I couldn't kill him this year. One thing I have noticed is that some, some bucks who are nocturnal in the, what I call their middle age of life, like, you know, three and a half to four and a half, sometimes they get, they, they turn that switch off when they get older. Uh, I don't, I don't have an explanation for that, but I've seen older deer, you know, five and a half, you know, all of a sudden, you know, they were kind of ghosts and all of a sudden, boom, uh, what's that guy doing up on his feet? He used to be, a, used to lay on his belly till the, till the moon came out, you know? And, um, so sometimes just being patient in the short term, you know, weeks or a month or two, or just, you know, wait on the deer. And I mean, if he is truly nocturnal, he's probably not going to get killed, you know? So maybe next year you'll have another swing at him. Gotcha. So let's say you do identify, uh, you, you got one pegged, you know, he's a little nocturnal, but you do find a, a kink in his armor and, uh, and let's say he, he, the window is really short at that point and you got to go in there, but potentially the, the conditions aren't right for maybe your access route. Are you getting creative and trying to come up with new ways to get after him or set up a new stand? Or are you just being patient and hoping he makes another mistake later? Well, I, I think you got to, in, in my opinion, you got to kind of fly by the seat of your pants on that one, Dan. I mean, uh, I'm, I kind of enjoy pushing the envelope once in a while and saying, well, you know, Hey, I've tried this three or four times and it hasn't worked. Maybe I need to try something different. Um, you know, maybe I need to backdoor them or rethink my approach. Um, you know, I, sometimes I, you know, I, I know I've done this on a couple bucks where, you know, I, I think I've got them figured out, but then I start kind of analyzing, you know, map or a, or an aerial and going, Oh, there's a little swale there that I didn't even know existed. And, um, so again, um, I don't mind pushing the envelope, um, trying a new setup, but again, I will, I won't, I don't, I rarely abandon, you know, fundamental deer hunting. I'm a big, I'm a big believer and always wait for, for the right wind. Um, and that, and that, that's kind of a kicker too. Um, you know, when we talk about things like waiting for the right wind and and what most of us envision when we say that is the wind that's perfect for us. Well, usually if the wind is perfect for us, it's dead wrong for the deer. And some of these, uh, you know, these older bucks that are, you know, they've been around the, been around the dance floor a few times and they are leaning towards that nocturnal end. They're not going to, they're not going to move when the wind is not perfect for them or they, they feel like it's not perfect for them. So, um, one thing that was, uh, actually went, uh, there's a bow hunter named Roger R- Rother or R- Rother. Anyway, he was a, one of the, one of the, you know, Miles Keller era guys that has killed just a pile of big deer. And I remember reading in a book, he said, the best win for me is the one that's almost wrong for me and almost perfect for the deer. Right. So you're kind of cutting that edge where you're, you know, the buck is moving with the wind in his face or quartering towards him where he feel you know, he feels like he can pick up danger from his nose, but there might be a bend in the trail or there might be a, you know, a little shank in the land where you can, where for just a few minutes, he's not 
getting you. Uh, or sometimes you can use terrain. In my, in my country, I hunt big, I hunt a lot of, this is all big bluff country. And um, I've got a couple stands that I call no bus stands that are right on the right on the brink of the cutoff of the hill. In other words, you know, right where that hill starts dropping down severely. Um, if I put my stand there and my scent is blowing over that valley, that buck can approach me from what seems like perfect dead downwind for him. But I'm, you know, my stand is just high enough up where he can't get me. Um, so anyway, those are examples of, you know, pushing the envelope and making that deer feel comfortable. He's, you know, he thinks he's got everything, but um, he's got one little window there where, I, you know, he's vulnerable and I'm, I've got him. Now, a lot of these guys hunt a variety of different terrains. They hunt a variety of different states. Uh, they're in the woods a lot, and I feel they have a lot of experience when it comes to, you know, giving some sort of advice hunting nocturnal, you know, hunting a nocturnal buck. Now, just my two cents really quick. Here's what I would do. I am I'm a firm believer in checking my trail cameras, right? That is part of my overall strategy. And if I have a, um, a trail camera pick of a nocturnal buck, three o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning. I don't typically get too excited unless I know where he's coming from or where he's going. And if I can beat him back to his bed in the morning or find some place around, you know, along his bed to food pattern where I can get in with good access uh, to maybe cut him off going to a food source. On the other hand, if I know this buck doesn't live on the property and he's only visiting my, you know, the property that I have access to. I typically just try to be as patient as humanly possible. I know it sucks and uh, it kind of goes against my run and gun mentality. But if you don't have access to land, you don't have access to the land and you can go and hunt and you can try to get as close as possible on the property that you have access to. But there is a very good chance that this buck is coming by and he's smelling you after you've already left and went back to the truck or if he comes through and you're already in the tree stand but you don't have a shot because it's dark, right? Those are a lot of scenarios that I think a lot of people may get excited about, right? You got you got these you get a you get a big mature buck on trail camera and you want to go chase him, but it's dark, right? So, I think depending on you know, all of these are different. That's why I wanted to make this topic a round table. Uh, I am all about being aggressive when I can, but I'm also about using the data and the intel that I have to make the best possible decisions. And if that's be aggressive, then I'll get aggressive. But if it's be patient, sit back and continue to wait, I'm going to sit back and I'm going to continue to wait. And I think it's a little bit different for every scenario. So like I always say, take some time, Take the data that you have, take the intel that you have, and use that to make a decision on whether you should be aggressive or maybe a little bit passive on a uh, on a nocturnal buck, and uh, hopefully it pays out, you know, pays off for you. So, uh, huge shout out to all the people who uh, partook or partaked. I don't know what the the right word is. Who were uh, helped me out making this podcast, man. Good luck to all those guys. Good luck to all of you uh, this upcoming season. Thank you very much for tuning in. Huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast: Vortex, Prime, Lone Wolf, Ripcord, Wasp, and Ozonics. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. And then this this is able uh, you know to keep going and keep going. Uh, other than that, go to iTunes, leave a review, 
go to uh, iTunes and subscribe or wherever you download your podcast. Be sure to subscribe. If you're, if you have found this podcast, but where you download your podcast, you can't find it. Let me know. And I'll make sure I get the, you know, all these episodes to where you're downloading it. And, uh, we'll go from there. Be sure to follow the sportsman's nation and the nine finger chronicles on Instagram and Facebook. Other than that, hopefully everybody is having a fun, exciting season. It's just about to get really good. Uh, I know that there's certain places down South where the rut doesn't happen for like two more months, but uh, up here in the Midwest, things are going to start cracking here pretty soon. Watch the weather, watch the weather, watch the wind, watch the precipitation. Uh, All those things are kind of key in uh, deer movement. And if you're a trail camera guy, watch your trail cameras because I think they'll tell you a lot. Hopefully everybody has has, uh, had a great weekend and uh, enjoy the rest of the week. And, And lastly, man, if you're going to be in a tree, wear your damn safety harness. Have a good week.